morning, everybody. <clears throat> I want you um, all to know that I don't know if I tell you this enough. You, you're the best congregation there is. I, I kind of like coming to church here um, and seeing all of you. Um, your wonderful flock that I have the privilege of pastoring. This morning, there are, well, there are at least three scriptures that I want to um, read. And the first one's found in Psalm 37. Next one's found in Psalm 55. And then the third one is in 1 Peter. Psalm 37. As far as we know, a psalm written by David. And it has to do with um, a common theme with David. People who met him ill. Um, coming at him and his committing the whole thing to God so he didn't fret about it. And I'll just read a, a selection here. But verse 1, Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Then in Psalm 55, the 22nd verse. This is another one where David is dealing with things way over his head. Situations and circumstances he can't control. And he makes this statement, this charge really. Cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. Then... In 1 Peter, chapter 5, 6 and 7. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Now, there will be maybe a couple other scriptures that I want to look at. But thinking of these three scriptures, there's a common theme here, and it's not the only place we find it in the scripture. But it's the whole issue of committing or consecrating to God. The multitude of things that crowd into our lives about which we can do very little or nothing. I think that there are plenty of things that come in our lives 
about which we can do something. And so we deal with it and we make different decisions and so forth. But life in general is constantly serving up to us things that we can't control. And those things that we can't control can truly eat us alive. They can ultimately, if we don't handle them like God directs us to take care of them, they can end up quenching our faith. I've pastored, unfortunately, a lot of people who've gotten into difficult situations, hard to deal with, nothing they can do about it. It's beyond their control, whether it be job-related, financial, disease, whatever. And it ends up becoming such an issue to them in the matter of trusting God to get them through it, that they lose their faith, fall away. The things that we sometimes suffer under, circumstances, or other people that will buffet us, grieve us, and frustrate us to death, they can promote in us, a little list here, Things like this can promote in us obsession. We're just obsessed with it. It may be wrongs that someone has done to us. And we just keep going over it. And we keep going over it. And we can't do anything about it. Wayward children. Breaches in families. It can cause us to obsess about it. Second, it can produce bitterness and resentment if we're not careful. Frustration, third, which leads then to contention. When we are frustrated about something, it's almost impossible to keep our mouths shut. And when we are maybe often need to be in proximity to someone that we're frustrated with, with, it can lead to verbal arguments and snippy stuff we say um, because we're obsessed with it, we're bitter and resentful about it, and we're frustrated and so we, we can't leave it alone. Another deep pit of peril is anger or frustration with God. I've prayed over this. I've asked God. I've done my best. I've sought Him. I've lived for Him. I've obeyed Him. You know, I've tithed. I've done, I've done all the things that I'm supposed to do. Why in the world doesn't God do something here? That's ultimately one of the places the devil is always seeking to get us to. To where our frustration, instead of being horizontal, 
it slowly moves to vertical. God's in control. God knows all things. He keeps saying that. Well, then why in the world doesn't he do anything? Why is he just sitting around? That's terribly dangerous and fatal ground to get onto. Failure to commit things can lead to this. Self-reliance, then, is another one. Well, God isn't going to straighten up and fix things, and so-and-so isn't going to straighten up. I'm going to have to do it myself. Ever been in a place like that? Well, I'll just call them up and I'll deal with it. What does that always lead to? <laughs> Way more trouble that then you're sheepishly going to God, oh, Lord, could you, get, could you get me out of this mess that made because I opened my mouth? Failure to commit things to God and leave them with Him can produce that. Finally, and I don't think this is an endless, or this isn't the end of the list, despair, discouragement, and defeat can be the result of these things that every single one of us in our lives encounter. They're unavoidable. They're part of, they're part of living in a fallen world. And we will confront them. And they are myriad. The only way to deal with these and to stay out of these pitfalls is found in these three and more scriptures. The way to peace and a way to preserving purity in our motives, in our heart, is found in these three little verses. We find in the one in 37, 37th Psalm is the word commit. In 55.22 is to give back to God is the original language. And Peter cast, casting all of our cares upon him. For he cares for us. The first thing we have to do then, and this is a chronic exercise, it's a discipline of being a Christian. That is one to recognize. Now, recognize what? The word recognize, by the way, if you just look it up, means to perceive clearly, to acknowledge definitely. I need to recognize at least three facts. As I'm facing some issue that is over my head, I can't deal with it, I'm powerless, I'm helpless, nothing seems to work. There's at least three facts I have to recognize. One, recognize, of course, that I have an issue, that something's driving me crazy. One, God knows more than we do. Now, 
Nobody's ever heard that before. I found that in the Bible. We know that here. But I have to come to the place God knows infinitely more than I do. I think I understand not only what's going on, but what needs to be done and how to do it. The problem is I've forgotten that God is so infinitely beyond our tiny little minds. He knows everything. He knows more than I do. He knows what's down the road. I don't know, I don't know what I'm going to have for lunch. But he knows 5,000 years down the road. He knows every single detail. He knows. Second, fact, God cares more than we do. When we deal with loved ones that are off the rails, and we're frustrated, and we fret over it, and we think about it at night, and we find ourselves often caught up in the things they're involved in, it costs us. We are inconvenienced by what other people have done. If they hadn't done this, if they weren't like that, I wouldn't, we wouldn't have the mess we're in today. And I think no one cares more than I do. We care, but God cares far more than I can. He cares more for my children, my grandchildren, my loved ones, my spouse, my life. He cares more about that than I do or could. He's infinite. And would we die for the frustrating, obnoxious, wicked, rebellious that are inflicting pain on us? I don't know. I doubt it. But he did. He cares more than we can care. Third, obviously, God can do more than we can do. Have you fretted over issues? Maybe people, they're a thousand miles away. Maybe they're in college, they're going off the rails, whatever's going on. I can't be there, but God is. I can't do anything, but He can. Something I think I mentioned the other day, I don't mean to be too repetitive, but there's just a, a verse that just keeps speaking to me and reminding me. When Jesus was talking to Peter and the disciples and he said, who do people say that I am? And they told him, prophets, whoever. And then he said, who do you say I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus responded and said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. That concept reminds me 
there's even what I'm doing right now is doing my best to bring to you what I feel like God's put on my heart to say today. That's what a preacher's supposed to do. Technically, we really pro- we probably shouldn't use the word sermon. It actually ought to be a message. The preacher's a messenger. You, we are to do our best to say what God's told us to say. But, in a sense, well not in a sense, our words are worthless, fruitless, powerless, ineffective, unless the Holy Spirit turns the light on in hearts and minds. Flesh and blood can't waken somebody up. When I first got into the ministry, knew everything there was to know. And, you know, in your early 20s, everybody knows that. You know, it's downhill from then because you know everything. And I literally would think, now that guy's been in church who needs God, he's not saved, he's living a wicked life, he's been in church about a month or two months, and I've preached twice or three times on repentance and getting right with God, he knows. He needs to move on it. He, he understands. He's not listening to God. Sometimes people have to listen. Do you know how long it took to get to Jacob? It took God 20 years to get to Jacob and finally wake him up. I've had people as long as four or five years come to church very faithfully, lost, don't know God, never been born again, finally say, that makes sense to me. That's because flesh and blood can't do anything. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. God has to do the work. So we play our part in our meager little part of obeying God, praying what He wants us to pray, saying at times what He wants us to say. But God's got to do the work. So He can do, He can do way more, infinitely more, than I can do. All that I have to recognize before the next step, which is to relinquish Relinquish means to give over possession or control of. Another word for that in the scripture, interesting, there's at least somewhere in the neighborhood of 10, 11, 12 different terms in the Hebrew and the Greek for the word that's used in Psalm 37, which is commit. Commit your way. That's really mean. It means all of life. Commit your way unto the Lord, and He will do the work. He will bring it to pass. I can't. So I give it to one who can. And that word, give, or commit, or consecrate, means to renounce my supposed ownership of it, even though that ownership 
thought is pitiful. I can't, I can't do anything. God can, but I can't. And so in a sense, what I'm giving to God and committing to God when I give him this problem is nothing. I've given up a myth. And the myth is that I've got some control here and I know what needs to be done, when it needs to be done, and how it ought to be carried out. Well, that's a myth. But we have to have our brains and hearts disabused of that notion before we can commit something to God. So these three different verses, commit thy way unto the Lord. That's give it over to God and leave it with Him. The second, Psalm 55, 22. Let me back up to 37 for a moment. The word there, commit, is literally roll. Roll your way onto the Lord. Many people think that it comes from the, that particular day when the beast of burden was the camel. They laid down so that you could load them and you would carry the burdens that you were going to put on them and you would roll them off of your back and be relieved of that weight. A second possible meaning from that day well-traveled roads would every so often, a mile, two, or whatever, there would be roughly head-high pillars, tree trunk or something, stone. And burdens were often carried on people's heads. To this very day in the Middle East, we'll see pictures of people that are carrying firewood or jar of water or something on their heads. And there would be placed these roughly head-high posts that you could ease that burden off and rest. Roll your way onto the Lord. The implication is, I'm carrying a burden more, more than I'm built to carry. It's a couple tons of hay on a half-ton pickup. It won't work. You're going to wear out. Roll your way onto the Lord. That's what relinquish means. Let God have it. Then, here's another interesting wording that we don't see in the English. In 55, 22, it says, the word for burden, it says, cast your burden upon the Lord and He will sustain you. The word for burden there is interesting. It's actually the word gift. Cast your gift. So what it really means is, the best translation is, cast what God has gifted you, given you, back onto Him. So what does that mean? That means... That everything that comes into my life, God's permitted. 
We don't know what he has not permitted. I have no idea what all God didn't let come into my life. It's a mystery that I can't get into. Maybe I shouldn't even mention it. But the conversation that went on between Satan and the Lord over Job when the devil accused Job of only serving God because God poured out riches on him. And he challenged, in a sense, God. And God said, all right, he's a man who fears me and hates sin, and he's perfect in his loyalty to me. And the devil says, let me have him. God said, in a sense, he said yes and no. Yes, you can have his possessions, but you leave him alone. So he goes out and he destroys, the devil does, all of his flocks and herds, and he's, he's bankrupt in about the space of an hour. But he held his faith fast. Didn't budge. The devil challenged him and says, Well, even though he's lost all his possessions, you touch his body, make him sick. God said, all right, but don't touch his life. In other words, you, you can't take his life. And so we know he was struck. We don't know exactly what it was, but a um, terrible skin situation covered with boils, filled with pain, fever, and still he held fast. All that tells us, and Psalm 55:22 tells us, that whatever test, trial, frustration um, that comes, tempest that comes into my life, he's permitted it. It has to get by him first. Now, I know that that can cause us to do one of two things. We can immediately go to questioning God. What kind of a God would let that? That comes out of an unbelieving heart. A self-centered heart. Another way we can look at it is then if God let this happen, A, he knows all about it. B, he's not out to destroy me. C, it's the scripture in 1 Corinthians. There's no temptation that's overcome you except that which happens to everybody, common to man. And God is faithful who will make a way to escape that you can bear it. Bear up under it. If God let it happen, He has a plan in it. He wants to toughen me up. He wants to deepen my faith. He wants to show Himself as faithful by bringing me out of it and giving me victory. God's not mean. He's not harsh. Any of us here that have participated in athletics, <clears throat> you have coaches who pushed you. Now, I suppose some of them were sadistic. I don't know. But daily doubles in football in August, um, you'd think that's cruel. I, I was a distance runner, and our coach would put up, you know, he'd say, 
Tuesday, 10, 10 miles. And then Wednesday would be intervals. And you'd think, he, he happened to be the coach. He was also the vice principal. He's wearing a suit. He's sitting in an air-conditioned office. Kind of a guy would tell me that I got to go run 10 miles. And I got to do it under 60 minutes. He's mean. <laughs> no, he's not. In a sense, his reputation, his name was on us. When North Eugene track team went to South Eugene, different schools in the district, we, he had, his reputation was at stake. What kind of a coach is he? And he wanted, honestly, he wanted us to enjoy the thrill of victory and the sense of accomplishment. So he pushed us. God is really not being, nor would a coach be kind and good to us if he didn't push us. If he just let us be slobs, he wouldn't care for us. So God knows and permits what comes to us. Give back to God what he has allowed to come to you. He wants to teach me then. Give it back to him. Commit it back to him. Now, we relinquish all of our concepts of how, when, where something ought to be taken care of. We also have to relinquish, commit to God, consecrate to him the conviction that we may have that God will forget about our case if we don't pester him. Now, we have to be careful. He said, continually bring to God your requests. But there's a point that I believe God wants us to get to. Not that we quit praying completely about something, but the, I don't know, the anxiety, the um, almost franticness of it, reaches a place where we say, Lord, I know you've heard me. I trust you. I don't have to pester you about this. You already know. And I'm going to leave it with you. I'll pray for it from time to time, but by the grace of God, it won't, it won't eat at me like it's been. Does that make any sense? Come to a place where we can say, Lord... I can't bear this load. I'm not made for it. And you told me to give it back to you. By your grace, I will. I'll hand it back to you and I'll rest. I'll roll my burden off onto you. Peter's statement, casting all your cares upon him for he careth for you. That's earlier versions. Some of the newer versions translate that correctly. Those those two words care are two different, completely different words. So that it means cast all and casting. What is that? That's present tense. That means we're going to have different cares and anxieties is the word. Casting all your anxieties upon him for it matters to him about you is what that second word, sometimes translated care, really means. 
And casting is we will, we will deal with one issue and God will get us through it and then another issue comes up. That's part of life. I don't like it. But uh, you have to get over it. I would prefer, and I think, I don't know if I'm worse than any of you, I don't know. I love... Um, I love routine. I love things working out just right. And the plans that I have for the particular day, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to fix that. And I want this to go just right. Okay? I went to... Yesterday had a wonderful experience. I went to uh, my daughter's home built in 1940 old cloth covered wiring no wire nuts on anything everything's old now gooey sticky gummed up black electrician tape for every kind of junction colors they're not colored so you don't know which wire is which that's really enjoyable and I figured, you know, I don't know why, uh, maybe I, this could be kind of a group therapy session. <laughs> I always think, okay, this will probably take me, this will take a half hour. And here, I know exactly what to do, I've done them a thousand times, and you do this and you do this and it'll work great. Well, it didn't. Two hours later, <laughs> It finally came on, I don't even know how. Blew the breaker numerous times. Nothing works like you think it's going to work. Okay? Somehow, we have to lower our expectations because that's also a place where we, frustration can come in in life. Our kids will all be perfect. They'll never wreck the car. They'll never date somebody we don't want them to date. It will just be, you know, there's an old, old hymn that's a complete fraud. Drinking at the springs of living water. is. It's an, I don't know if anybody remembers that. But it has a phrase in there. Walking with the Lord, not a cloud in the sky. That's crazy. We're under clouds all the time. The devil buffets us and the world buffets us. And it's a, it's a wicked world we live in. And the, the sea bills roll. What are they talking about? There's an unrealistic view that many of us can have just about life in general and the Christian life that always leaves us disappointed, frustrated. Why in the world can't things work out? They're never going to work out. They just aren't. But God gets us through it. We give over our control. Now that gets down to the root issue in the human heart, is self-sovereignty. My supposed right of control and the word consecrate and commit, relinquish, let go. These are also words that we find all throughout Scripture used for the 
human condition that must be met for the infilling of the Holy Spirit and the removing, the cleansing from our heart of that tap root of self-sovereignty, of control. That's what we're to do in order to be filled with the Spirit. Consecrate ourselves. There's Jesus himself uses that term in the Garden of Gethsemane, high priestly prayer, John 17. He prayed for the disciples. Praying to the Father, he said, sanctify them. And older versions will use sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself. Well, that, you think, what in the world Jesus being sanctified? He doesn't have anything to be cleansed. It's because it's a different meaning there. It literally is consecrate. Jesus said, there, there's two meanings, main meanings, to the word sanctify. Set apart, consecrated for holy use, or cleansing. The Old Testament leans a bit more to consecrating a place, utensils in the temple, holy ground. It's to set it apart for divine use only. The New Testament leans toward the cleansing term, meaning of the word sanctify. But here they both come together. Jesus said they need to be cleansed and so that they can be cleansed, I consecrate myself to die so they can be cleansed. There's the two sides of that word. I need then to consecrate to God all that would pull me away from settled, resting faith in God and peace that passes understanding. So the third thing, we are to recognize, relinquish, and then rely. There's the present tense. To give things over to God, I think everybody here knows what I'm talking about. We can, we can consecrate something to God and commit it to God. And then there's no changes. It may get worse. And the devil keeps whispering to us. And the strong temptation is to uncommit it. You understand what I mean? And we decide to go back and assert our own, okay, I've waited long enough, somebody's got to do something. And I'm going to do it and I'm going to mess it up good. Instead of shutting up and waiting for God. Unfortunately, God's not on, His watch doesn't run like ours. All of us wish it were, wish it would. But it doesn't work that way. He waits. He waits. And he lets things come together, fall into place. And he takes his time. When everything's set, then he moves. There is a normal struggle then, the fight of faith, Paul talks about. Once we commit something, leave it there. 
rely. Rely on God on those basic facts. He knows more than I do. He cares more than I do. He can do more than I can do. There is a place, another old hymn, there is a place of quiet rest near to the heart of God. There's something about giving something to God, leaving it there, and trusting Him. It's the way to peace and purity. Let's bow our heads and just take a moment. Obviously, I don't know anyone's heart here. God does. And I'm confident that in every one of our lives, in fact, I would believe every single one of us here have something that's gnawing at us, something that is troubling us, something that is weighing us down. Whatever that is, we just need to simply pray, Lord, I can't bear this forever. I'm not doing any, it's not doing my own heart any good. It's not doing the situation any good. And I keep trying to fix it. Maybe sticking my nose where it doesn't belong. Lord, help me roll this onto you. Just like a heavy burden on my shoulders. Help me roll it onto you and leave it there. And trust you that you care and you can. Father in heaven, thank you for your word, first and foremost, and for our Savior. I was struck this morning, Lord, in one of the psalms that the pastor brought forth. In Psalm 37, 4, where you said, do not fret, but then you don't let us stop there. You tell us what to do, and that is to commit our ways unto you. Father, I pray that we're a congregation that does that before we need to, that we have committed our lives to you before those crisis moments come. So then we know the one that we cast our cares upon. Then we know the one who can help us to endure through those trials and through those storms, hanging on to you tightly as we go through them and as we come out the other side, closer to you because of your faithfulness through those storms and trials. Lord, we're going to go through stuff. And it's not what we go through that makes, it who, makes us who we are. It's where we go with what we go through. So help us to be a congregation of people that go to the throne of grace to take our trials and carry them to you and roll them on as we've been taught this morning to roll those cares upon you, Lord, and then help us. And I really believe, Lord, with all my heart, if we commit before those trials come, we know you. And then when we cast our cares upon you, <clears throat> we will be slower to reach out and take them back because we know ultimately we can trust you. So help us to be that congregation. Help us to be that people, Lord, that commit and then we cast our cares upon you and then leave them there because, Lord, you are trustworthy. I'm reminded of a scripture in Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Help us, Lord, to live this life that you've called us to by your grace and by your mercy 
and to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.